Hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Reset Now podcast. I am Tatsan Sirvadana, your host for the day. Today we are joined by Thamza Jayawardana to discuss the legal barriers that prevent women from entering and retaining in the labor force and the reform recommendations that can be used to address these barriers. Thamza Jayawardana is the head of women's empowerment and advocacy at MAS Holdings and have been with the company for over 10 years. She is an attorney at law and holds a bachelor's degree in English from the University of Colombo. Tanuja, it's a pleasure to have you have you here with us today. Um to start off our discussion today. So if I put the context straight, so Sri Lanka is facing its worst economic crisis ever and this is something we haven't experienced before. Um on the other hand, if we take a look at the Sri Lanka's labor force, we have a trend of aging population while the skilled labor is migrating. Um at the same time, we have a population of mainly females consisting of 52%. but these numbers doesn't show in the labor force participation um so given this context uh, how important is it to get the women into the labor force that's arani thank you for having me i'm also really impressed by the work you're doing in this space because as you said we are working on coming out of probably the worst economic crisis mm. we've had mm. and I feel like this is the time to really correct a lot of things um and put certain systems and structures in place mm-hmm. that we didn't have before. So this whole conversation of needing more women in the labor force we've been having for the last I would say 10 years. Um as an organization like MAS which is in the apparel industry we have a majority female workforce. right so we are one of the few industries like tea and uh, one or two others where you do see a majority female workforce but we are acutely aware of the gap um when it comes to certain jobs yeah. um and when it comes to so many industries so having more women in the workforce i think it's a no brainer we need it um for economic growth for the longest time um so mas for example has a lot of focused intervention and a lot of work looking at increasing participation in certain job roles at a certain work level so for example when we look at the what we call the office worker um or people coming into um the executive and above cadre in our industry and then management and leadership there is a gap where an industry which has majority women but when you look at management and leadership it swaps like in every other industry um so getting more women into those roles and work levels has been a focus for us for the last about 6 or 7 years and when we talk about that um sometimes it used to i don't think anymore but it used to be a conversation about doing the right thing which i think it is because like you said 52% of the population in sri lanka is female um so it is about having voice it is about having agency representation at all levels right because otherwise all your solutions all your decisions are being made by one type of person so it is about doing the right thing but it is also about business and it is about the economy and it is about the fact that we need it 
because you need that skill and you need that talent otherwise you're just picking your workforce from the part of the population that can work in a certain way mm. not only um the people who are most skilled or most suitable or talented but only those people who can work a certain number of hours who can give up all other responsibilities with family and children and all of that that's where you're picking from which just doesn't make sense right yeah i agree 100% with you um since you have done a lot of work regarding labor laws in sri lanka um do you think sri lanka's labor laws are gender discriminatory and i think since you are coming from more of a practical sense of view since you are representing the corporate sector um how does this apply so the labor laws there are as you know and and as your report shows also there are so many different aspects of the labor law um which is discriminatory mm. um unfortunately i think a lot of that comes from a protectionist angle uh from a time when it was seen as necessary to protect women to make sure you give them enough time with their families uh you make sure they're safe unfortunately that protectionism comes from a mindset of you protect women by not allowing them to come out of the house it's that same idea of not letting your girl children go out at night or step out of the house you know that famous saying in sri lanka you know the sister doesn't even get sent to the shop to buy bread yeah. um so you're coming from this mindset of the way to protect anyone is by restricting that person rather than making the environment safe right so we're not thinking of making our roads safe we're not thinking of making our transport safe we're rather saying women stay at home so that you don't get attacked or assaulted um which obviously is not the right approach the other side of that is also this whole idea that women are the ones who are responsible for all the child care and the home care so as a result things like night work overtime all of those are restricted for women uh, again coming from that patriarchal framework of you know because the mother has to look after the family and the children let's not give her overtime or night work so you're trying to protect that idea of the family unit uh, and i think it comes from a certain kind of um cultural social what we call or assume to be mm. a cultural need mm. uh but unfortunately again taking away the choice for women mm. um of course women bear children so you have to be mindful of it i don't agree with uh, that idea that oh we are gender blind mm. you can't be gender blind you have to recognize that women have children they are the ones who biologically will have to reproduce so you have to um find solutions to support women through those life cycle needs but you have to also give them the choice yeah. so i think the requirement from the law is not to restrict but to open up in a way where you're supporting men and women um so yeah i do think our labor laws are discriminatory but coming from that protectionist angle yeah true um i think that's a very valid point that you brought up in terms of like women's choice i think that is what we also try, strive to achieve 
uh, to bring like reduce these barriers so women have a choice to either enter into the labor force or either to stay at home um also going back to the part time work um the current laws relating to the payment of epf and etf is uh, discouraging employers from hiring part time workers and this is kind of disproportionately affects women because they require flexible time work time so um do you think this is an issue in your industry and what can you do to change this yes so flexible work and part time work again um needs that we identified i would say about 10 years ago uh from surveys we've done with our employees work life balance surveys um employee value proposition surveys um as an organization we recognize that people are asking for that flexibility workload is a whole other conversation um and flexibility does not solve the workload issue but what we realized is flexibility is necessary for people to manage work and life mm-hmm. men and women both yeah. but you are absolutely right it affects women disproportionately because for women having that flexibility or the part time option um is about is a choice of can i work or not mm. because unfortunately women are the ones who have to make that call of quitting if they can't spend enough time on the home care and child care responsibility so something we realized quite some time ago is that flexible work is a need mm. part time work is a need so especially like i said in that space of um the degree holder um women coming into the office worker role um we find it difficult to attract into certain roles so manufacturing technical uh, industrial engineering where you already have a smaller number of cvs coming in and then we have p- roles like merchandising finance hr where we have good representation of women coming in mm-hmm. but retention um moving up the ladder it becomes harder i mean there's a lot of responsibility on the company to make sure you do everything right in terms of how you recruit how you support how you promote all of that but practically there is a piece that is outside of the company which is that home care and child care responsibility so if we can't change the way we work if we still need people to come in and sit at a desk from 8 in the morning till 6 in the evening or 5 in the evening you need somebody who has no family or home responsibility and that is that kind of workplace that was built for a very male um or it's unfair to say male because you assume that men don't have that responsibility and you've taken that away from men which is also really unfair so giving that flexibility a huge issue we faced as a company so we launched a flexible work policy in 2018 we had one drafted in 2017 launched in 2018 but we had to go company by company we had to take it in pieces because management pushed back to say how do we get our work done um if you take flexible work for example uh if you have someone on a flexible work contract monitoring the the laws that kind of regulate that is not there 
So we finally came to a point of saying, that's fine. We'll manage it internally. We have the, we have the framework internally. If, and we will give the requirements. Part-time work, like you mm. said, everything from EPF, ETF, the leave requirements, you can't prorate anything. Gratuity. Yeah. So if someone's moving from a full-time worker to a part-time worker, that whole gratuity law uh, becomes a barrier mm. because companies now had to jump through hoops to figure out how you make sure you don't disadvantage someone. Someone who's worked for, let's say, 10 years on a full-time contract and then moves into part-time, if they're leaving, their gratuity gets calculated at a part-time salary rate, which is not fair. So companies like ours at MAS, we worked through that. We worked with the EFC. We worked on the policy and the framework that we had. We sensitized management. We went through that process. But, and I know other private sector companies that did that. So I think private sector taking that step was necessary. So it was good. And I think more private sector companies probably need to do that. It's not straightforward. We don't have any perfect solutions. So it's a matter of trial and error. Uh, we manage contracts, manage people as we go along. But having the framework really helps. Uh, having that policy, having those guidelines, getting EFC advice, getting legal advice at every stage is helpful. Uh, but I think private sector probably, as usual, needs to take the lead yeah. uh, in this. Yes. Um, so moving back into our conversation of nighttime work, um, do you think legalizing nighttime work and amending the legislation to part-time work um, will increase recruitment and retention of female labor in the workforce? I, I really strongly believe it will. Because practically, if we think about it, it's just giving more choice and option for men and women both. And I do think that we're moving into a time when men are also not willing to um, work in those same formal structures and those same restrictive frameworks. Um, because they also want something different. Um, I definitely think when it comes to attracting more women into the workforce and retaining them, part-time work, very, very specially. Um, because, I mean, let's be realistic about the economic situation. We have to think about what we can manage in the short term and then in the long term. Bringing in the necessary laws to support part-time work, looking at leave, looking at the Gratuity Act, looking at EPF, ETF, mm -hmm. That, I feel, is a low-hanging fruit. Yeah. It's something that can be done that will encourage more employers to give part-time work, which will in turn mean that if you have women who have maybe stepped out of the workforce for a for certain time because that whole child-bearing and child-rearing responsibility is a massive one. So if women choose to, let's say, take some time and be stay-at-home mums, which is a completely valid and fantastic choice, yeah. it's actually, I think, on the company's and the economy's interest to provide part-time work because that means there are educated, skilled women who can come in on part-time basis yeah. and contribute to 
our companies and our economies. For example, we have people at MAS for it who are highly qualified, who've been doing work for us, who understand the space. So they have that knowledge, uh, the institutional knowledge, a lot of understanding of the space, which you can't get the moment you recruit someone. So when that person leaves, we lose out. And then it costs us months of training and someone settling in to take on and run at that same pace. So it makes a lot of sense to get someone on a part, that person who was full-time before to move into part-time work because she or he understands the space so well, has the experience and can manage a team without a problem. Yeah. They'll have to do less work. We'll have to redistribute work, mm -hmm. maybe get someone in to handle a certain part of the work. But having that skill and knowledge within the organization is hugely valuable. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of companies and organizations don't realize that. That switching someone to part-time is hugely valuable for the company because that institutional knowledge, that experience, you can't always just immediately replace. Mm -hmm. So part-time work, if the lodger does come in, I think it makes a lot of sense for business mm. because it, it means women can be connected um, in a value-adding way, uh, which is something we're losing. That whole talent loss we're having right now. Sure. Nighttime work, again, I think opens up a whole lot of avenues um, even in our industry, um, and of course the IT, yeah. BPO sector, there are so many jobs that suddenly become available because if you as a woman want to take your morning for certain other work, your home care, your child care, and if you choose to work in the night, well, then you should have that option, right? Yeah. And you should have the option of mm. economic empowerment. Yes. It's important um, and you should be able to flex in a way that makes sense based on your life requirements. Exactly. So I, I definitely think it makes a difference. Yes. And, and it makes a difference from a business sense. Sure. Um, and also talking about nighttime work, it's like even though it's not in the act, even though it's, a, it's not legalized, still women are working nighttime. So I think it's a high time this uh, law is being implemented as well. Yeah, because um, in so many industries, women work very late yeah. uh, and it's not regulated or monitored. Yeah. Uh, whereas in certain industries where you can actually earn in a regulated way, um, there is a restriction. Yeah. So employers are also discouraged, right? To, for example, in our industry, you can get an exception you have to go to labor commissioner and get approval to do to get nighttime work approved for certain like the textile industry um, but it's just yet another barrier for employers and you feel like oh you know you might as well just hire men to do that job yes um also talking about the sri lanka labor law statutes about overtime work i think it mentions that per day both men and women can work 9 hours but for men, overtime work can be done for 12 hours per week. But that same kind of flexibility is not there for women. Um, do you think this affects women's choice to be employed? Of course it does. Yeah, it does. I think, again, it comes from that idea of somebody deciding that 
women must only work a certain number of hours because they are the homemakers. So let's give women X number of hours to work in so that they can go home and look after their families without a problem. So some power decided that women will be given limited choice because women must look after the home. Now, wouldn't it be fantastic if women could choose to look after their homes, choose to look after their families and choose to work in the way they want? And I also think there is this mindset that um, it's not about money. And I think that's a very easy thing to say. Um, if you have the money you need to make the choices and the life decisions, whether it's medicine or food or clothes for yourself um, and for someone to take that choice away to make an X amount of money or beyond that is, it seems obviously discriminatory, but it's so couched in culture and social norms and all of that that people don't realize that it's discriminatory sometimes, yeah. I think. True. So I think there's absolute value in women staying at home and looking after the home and children full-time. Yeah. There is also absolute value in women choosing to work the number of hours they want. True. <laughs> exactly. I think that's coming back to the, to the discussion of choice, basically. Um, also, I think providing a safe work environment in the workplace is a key factor to retain and also to attract a very skilled labor, like female labor force into the market, right? Um, so legislation on sexual harassment in employment. Um, so there's no statutes has been dis, uh, dedicated in addressing sexual harassment at workplace. Um, how does this affect um, getting women to join the labor force in Sri Lanka? So... <clears throat> My view is that if, um, if workplaces are safer, and when I say safer, I mean where you're comfortable, yeah. where you're not made to feel like you have to put up with the gross comments, the inappropriate jokes. Because when we say safety, I think we've come some way to say um, workplaces have to be safe, you can't um, have situations where you might get physically harmed or yeah. hurt. Those things, I think, in Sri Lanka to a large extent are a given. Yeah. We still do have issues, but much less um, than what we may have had before and, and in certain other parts of the, the, <clears throat> the region. But it's not only about physical safety, right? It's about emotional well-being. It's about... Um, a lot of other more subtle ways of being demeaned. Um, so we talk about sexual harassment, sexual bribery, uh, all of that, uh, which can be not as obvious. Uh, you might not have someone obviously coming up to you and saying, oh, you know, have a relationship with me or you will lose your job. It doesn't happen like that anymore. But there's a lot of subtle sexual bribery that happens. Um, and companies and the legislation, unfortunately, does not provide for that specifically 
in the labor law yeah. i do think though that sexual harassment in the workplace is dealt with in a in a sense mm. uh when we talk about sexual harassment verbal physical harassment um and also in the penal code where yeah. we are talking about um if you are um harassed by anyone in power so that is specifically set out in the law in sri lanka uh unfortunately that's a criminal provision yeah so when you're a company and you have an incident of harassment and if you are expected to then go down the path of taking criminal action uh that's a whole other story nobody wants to take that path so we need to have provisions in the labor law uh, which refer to sexual harassment in the workplace mm. uh, i know there is an argument that yes it is already covered so what's the problem but it's a completely different thing when it's criminal uh, sure. liability um so c190 is something that we are talking about we are looking at i know the convention is you know being discussed and it is ongoing yeah. um companies also the thing is need to have a lot of frameworks in place um so part of my work i i wear two hats at mas mm-hmm. uh the gender equality work is one role and then we also have what we call the ms dna mm-hmm. the ms dna is our code of conduct which looks at everything from non discrimination to anti harassment and conflict of interest and all of that what i've learned is that there is so much work that needs to be done to have strong enough frameworks in place MAS around 2017 brought a lot of the policies we already had for the last 30 years onto one platform so our different companies and SBUs had different policies what we did was bring everything onto one platform and standardize the way grievances are handled also and how consequences are managed and we went on this drive of educating um and really really driving a certain kind of mindset because i don't think anyone really majority of people come into work um expecting to be nasty or evil but unless you create that acute awareness that your comments your jokes the way you look at someone the way you behave is making someone uncomfortable and unless you really educate and specifically talk about these issues i think some of it goes over people's heads because socially culturally we may have uh, behaved differently for, over the last 20 years so we as an organization realize that we have to promote the values of the company so mutual respect uh honesty and integrity drive it from there and then connect it to very clear policies about behavior and take action because safety in the workplace means that you get to come to work and not feel like you're really uncomfortable in very subtle ways because you already have enough work you already have enough pressure you don't have to you should not have to deal with that added burden of someone making comments and jokes and inappropriate statements um there's a lot of work that has to be done in that space and if the law is brought into the labor law 
and not only left in the criminal space, it'll make all of our lives so much easier. Because even if companies want to take action, want to drive the right behavior, um, not having the law solidly in place um, makes it harder yeah. for the companies. True. Um, so since we talked about a lot of um, legal aspects of uh, labor laws, I would like to like dive our conversation into more towards the care work. Um, so the gender gap in unpaid care work is a key role or a key factor as into why women doesn't come into the labor force. Um, do you think providing and mandating paid paternal leave um, will contribute positively for women to participate in the labor force? Um, I think it's, a, it's an important piece of the legislation that will change mindset. Mm. Um, it's, it's a long-term need. Um, the moment you introduce paternity leave, it's not like suddenly um, the balance is going to shift and women and men are going to take on equal responsibility. It's not like that. Um, but I think introducing paternity leave, introducing parental leave so that men and women can both equally participate in that childcare, home care responsibility changes the mindset which says childcare is the woman's domain. So the law bringing that in is probably the strongest message for everyone in our communities to understand that, oh, okay, fathers are given leave when a child is born. Uh, so that means fathers are expected to participate. Uh, it should seem obvious. Fathers are not expected to just help out. Um, but somehow it's, it's, it's not how we understand it. The law, I think, will set that tone. Um, practically, are we able to bring that into uh, effect right now? I don't know. But I do think private sector, again, um, has a huge responsibility and a huge opportunity because they have the influence. So MAS introduced paternity leave in 2021, a very small number of days, of course, but even that we felt is about the mindset change. It's about the company saying, we want you to participate in your child's um, care. You have a new baby, take the days off. So we actively encourage people to take the days off. We follow up with men when we know they've had a baby to say, are you taking your paternity leave? Yeah. Uh, companies like John Keels giving the equal number of maternity and paternity leave is a massive step and it's inspiring all of us. Mm. Um, so I think, again, private sector taking that step is helpful. Yes, I agree. And I think one of the discussion points that were brought up when we were discussing about maternal and paternal leave is like both parental leave is for the baby, not for the parents. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of the mindset change that we have all been talking about. I think that is something um, we should all work together to like change. Yeah, it, um, it also means that employers stop looking at women exactly. as the only people who need to take this time off when they have a child. Mm -hmm. Now, if men and women both take time off when there's a child, that discrimination step gets removed. Exactly. Um, also, do you think affordable and reliable childcare 
will get women uh, to come into the labor force more? That's that's probably one of the most important things we mm. need. Um, when we did a lot of look sort of study into what is it that is preventing women from coming into the workforce and staying in the workforce. Like I said, in certain job roles, we are able to attract women, uh, but retention becomes difficult. Um, I will always say this, companies have a huge responsibility to look at how they hire, how they are not biased, how they promote, and all of that. But to date, the biggest challenge that women face coming into the workforce and staying in the workforce is childcare. And I think a lot of the reports, whether it is McKinsey, whether it's IFC, all of them show that women who have children under the age of five are probably the most vulnerable to leave the workforce. So that is the biggest factor which we have to address if we genuinely want the skill and the talent of women to come into the workforce. Affordable and, like you said, suitable childcare, safe childcare exactly. of a good quality. Um, without that, it's very difficult to say women should come into the workforce. Um, there's this idea that jobs are open in countries like Sri Lanka. We don't block women. Um, we educate women. Education is open. We have more female graduates coming out of our universities. Um, so why are women not doing jobs? Is it because they're lazy? Is it because they're taking the easy way out? Um, of course not. It's, it's silly for us to say, oh, women should come and work if we're not providing the services that are necessary. So I think childcare is probably the one biggest infrastructure need. Um, from a state point of view and a private sector point of view. So as a company, MAS currently has 21 childcare facilities, internal or collaborating externally. Um, some within our factories, some where we work with an external provider and we collaborate. It's not enough though, because we still don't have childcare at every one of our locations. We have a huge gap when it comes to our um, central offices, uh, especially for that office worker card to find suitable solutions. Um, so I do think private sector needs to keep looking. And I'm really happy that a lot of companies in the private sector are providing childcare right now. Uh, but the state needs to step in at that point because unless there is, there are certain um, standard, uh, suitable, at least in certain locations mm -hmm. where you know a lot of people migrate to work. So whether it is closer to the zones mm -hmm. uh, and certain areas, certain urban areas where you know people come from uh, maybe about an hour or two away and they're traveling a lot. There is a study that needs to be done. And I know certain organizations have already done a lot of work in that mm -hmm. space. So private sector and state both need to do a lot more, I think, in that childcare space. Yes, I agree 100% with you there. Um, to wrap up the discussion today, um, I would last, like to ask you this one question. So Imagine if you were able to, like, if you were given the opportunity to, like, do one labor reform right now, today, what would it be and why? Uh, Part-time work. Part-time work is the one I would bring in because I feel it is, um, like I said before, an obvious one. Mm -hmm. It's a framework that can be given um, where 
companies can take it on so i'm not saying mandate things i'm saying make the law um supportive so that employers don't feel like i'm giving part time work and i can't prorate leave and i have to jump through various hoops to give you know the make sure the gratuity works just take those things out those barriers out it seems really obvious yeah. so part time work thank you tanoja for joining with us today and thank you everyone listening and watching the reset now podcast see you again in the next episode You can listen to this podcast on Anchor, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. And remember to follow us on all our social media platforms for more exciting content. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to like, comment and subscribe. See you in the next episode.